Hello, and uh, welcome to another Visible Miles podcast. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Simon, and uh, to left of me, we have, uh, as always, Eric, and uh, returning special guest, uh, Ravi. Uh, welcome, guys, and uh, thanks, everyone, for, uh, for tuning in to another episode. Um, we're actually going to flip the script this time around. Um, we are going to start with uh, games that we've been playing. Yeah, enter the outdoor. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, actually, why don't we start off with our uh, special guest, let uh, Ravi talk about the game he's been playing. Sure. So uh, I've been getting to a game that I've played quite a bit in the past, and it's Fire Emblem, Sacred Stones. And uh, for those of you who haven't played Fire Emblem for, it's a specific uh, sub-genre of the RPG genre, which is the tactics RPG genre. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of this genre because it's just really challenging. Uh, one of the best parts of Fire Emblem that makes it so playable is that if you lose a character there if they die in battle they're gone completely permadeath permadeath right and beyond that because it's a tactics <clears throat> rpg <clears throat> sorry um physical placement is really important it's sort of like a turn-based rts in that sense you can box off enemy uh characters based on how you move your units you can figure out what the movement radius is of opposing characters and enemies and strategically place your units so that they're always placed the right way. Um, this is just lots of fun. It kind of makes the... It combines the sort of fun of hack and slash and leveling of an RPG with the sort of, like, puzzle aspects of uh, stuff you won't really find outside of RPGs. So that's lots of fun. Um, Which uh, platform are you playing in? So it's for Game Boy Advance. I'm uh, playing on an emulator because I can't find my oh, old Game Boy Advance. Okay, so you're getting like really into the retro. Totally, and I mean, I think that's so that's a really interesting point to bring up. Um, I, I mean, just gonna throw out a hot take here. I really do believe that older video games, and especially on the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. Uh, they're fantastic because you had so little to work with. Now, when you say uh, emulator, are you like on a uh, emulator on the Mac playing Game Boy Advance? So you're you're playing a Game Boy game on your Mac. Yeah, so either so sometimes it's on my Mac. I try to do it sometimes on my phone, but that's really challenging because uh, there's a little bit of a cat and mouse thing between Apple and uh, people who release an open source emulator compiler for the iOS build target, then get their certificate for enterprise applications revoked, uh, which is, you know, it is what it is. But uh, I mean, isn't anybody making like a uh, emulator and just like putting the uh, the the code on uh, GitHub? I mean, yeah, developer accounts compile. Totally, there, there. You can do that. There is an open source emulator for iOS. Works very, very well. Um, It's just I'm too fucking lazy to actually compile it myself. And uh, if I did that, then I would have no issues with it at all. Um, So yeah, uh, no complaints about that though. Lots and lots of fun. Highly recommend checking out the Fire Emblem series. Um, And in particular, Sacred Stone is a lot of fun. It's a bit easier than the original Fire Emblem. Uh, which, if you've played, uh, doesn't have as much niceties. You have to do much more um, item management. You don't have the uh, supply uh, horse, essentially, that lets you take items, send them to the supply horse, and then pick them up from it in the middle of battle. You can't enter the shop as often. You have to really pick when you enter the shop. Uh, so you have to manage your weapon lifetime, because in Fire Emblem... Every time you attack an enemy, you lose one utilization. I kind of, I, I hate that. <clears throat> it, it seems like just sort of like the, kind of the worst thing to like make a game that they feel like is too easy, more challenging, but not like doing it in a good way. 
Like, there, there was nothing fun about uh, replacing weapons in Game of the Wild. That wasn't something that, or I'm sorry, Breath of the Wild, Zelda Breath of the Wild. That, that wasn't like, okay, cool, now I get to get the same Traveler's Sword again. It was just a constant annoyance. Oh, so that's the thing, though. I mean, there are there are a lot of weapons in Fire Emblem, and different types, different characteristics. So some but, of your but do you rare... feel like them like wearing out enriches the gameplay? Yeah, definitely. Oh. I mean, because really good weapons tend to be you know you're not going to pick up another one of them anytime soon. So you really hold on to them and you save them for like boss situations where you're going to be able to get a shit ton of experience. That makes sense. Usage. Now, I remember uh, one time Simon um, like actually looked at me with this like look of loathing and derision when I told him that the only Final Fantasy game that I'd ever really gotten into was uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm. Um, Fire, Fire Emblem's like pretty similar to uh, Tactics. Yeah, I actually so I haven't played Final Fantasy Tactics that much, but from what I gather, it's fairly similar. Um, I, I think it's the same idea. I can't speak to the exact details about whether it's got permadeath and all those other things that I kind of like about Fire Emblem. Um, and besides that, I think... Uh, the other thing I really love about Fire Emblem is that the, the art is just, it's just beautiful sprite art. It's just very, very pretty. Given how little, you know, they're, what they're working with is. They're, it's on a Game Boy Advance. You don't have that many pixels. You don't have that much hardware. And it just looks so good. Now, um, is there an actual story? Because that's usually where the tactics style right, games right. fall down. There, there's a story. Um, I think it's a, it's a pretty standard story. Uh, but I think what makes a story interesting is that it's it's a story where a lot of like the way that characters are introduced and get recruited to your team uh that is a major part of the plot device so um you'll fight a character in battle who ends up being important later on and you can either accidentally kill the character or you talk to them with uh the leader of your whole team and you can recruit them over to your team Mm. um so based on that you can have forks that happen in the road um, it, it's a very character-driven story, but there's a lot going on with the story. Uh, lots of betrayal, lots of intrigue, and like I personally enjoy the story quite a bit, but I know what I'm getting into. It's going to be proto-medieval. Uh, it's, it's not really going to be the most mentally stimulating thing, and you're not really looking for that. You're looking for fun. <laughs> um... Yeah, that's always been my, uh, joy of the Final Fantasy series, is usually the, like, the narrative is pretty rich. Um, mm. yeah, I... I'm drawn to that more so than the gameplay, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, I think I already got into the series, I think as a lot of people did, um, around Final Fantasy VII. Mm. Because I didn't grow up uh, with Nintendo, I didn't really have access to the earlier like Final Fantasies until no. later in my life. That's too so, bad, because Fa- the original Final Fantasy... Uh, oh, I played them all. I played them all now. Um, uh, even... Uh, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I was uh, massively into Final Fantasy fourteen online, mm-hmm. and um, was um, or am, um, and I also that started off with uh, Final Fantasy eleven like um, online. Um, so I've always been a huge like uh, like it mixes my favorite things, which is like rich storytelling and like um, MMO like aspects, which I've become very addicted to. I'm, it's a, uh, I mean, I'm really tempted to take a figure of bong rip here and say, you know, for a game called Final Fantasy, there sure seem to be quite a lot of them. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but no, the point I'm trying to make there is, uh, do you feel like there's any risk of uh, the game 
as a series getting diluted if you make one after the other over and over again how do you stop it from getting stale i mean this is something i feared with planks in the later versions is i really enjoy the earlier versions of the game and i'm nervous that if i play the later ones i'm gonna look and say this is derivate this is just being churned through there's no originality do you feel like what are your thoughts on that the first four titles to me with the exception of the ways that they introduce like class systems and jobs and um uh and general like gameplay mechanics that the first four seem like almost the same game um after that is when it all changed in my view like from five onwards like the mm. the game just opened up um and every single entry has been like notably different i think mm-hmm. um from the last like uh you're not going to mistake Final Fantasy VII and like Final Fantasy fifteen. How would you group the the lineage really of five to fourteen? Like from that period, would you say that it's, they're? Six- it's hard because mm-hmm. they've been re released under different numbers and like mm. uh, so. It's it's yeah. It's it's difficult to get a full like track on that. But um, I think it'd be really useful if uh, the Final Fantasy games were more like a uh, record label, like a uh, Kill Rock Stars. Where it's like they're different artists, they're like very different types of music, but they're all for the same kind of person. Like uh, the Final Fantasy is the name is meaningless. Yeah, for sure. Um, the obviously the tie-in is the concept art, right? Um, I have a bunch of the uh, artwork books dotted around. I mean, if you really um, think about what the phrase Final Fantasy means or would mean, and sort of like by itself it seems kind of dark it, it seems kind of like i don't know like a bad romance novel. i think it's well, just know, goddamn word salad yeah 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 <laughs> it just I, said this I, sounds good sure. this well, is what we're calling actually, it no it's not because it's like star wars there, there is mm. um there, there has been a lot of uh um or a couple of documentaries and other bits and pieces about this but obviously um japan is, is not afraid uh, to inject politics into games right. like, they're very big on that um final fantasy almost every single title can be tracked back to something that was happening in the political space Mm. around that time now i don't want to bring this into like into a full discussion about politics but it is worth noting that the japanese are not afraid of uh, of injecting politics into their games and that's a huge part of what makes the final fantasy stories i think compelling is because they're not afraid to to avoid those harder meteor discussions i think that's a really important key point because i think that also brings a level of dimensionality to it i mean i've always been a fan of you know the idea that nonfiction is kind of more compelling than fiction because you have these weird stranger than fiction sort of things where like it occurs and it's like you couldn't make it up because no one would fucking believe you mm. you know it's like the fact that it occurred actually makes it much more strange because you can say yeah i'm telling you this story and it happened, so you can't say that's outlandish. No one would believe it. Yeah, I mean, like Final Fantasy VII is a great one because it's it's all about corporate greed and um, mm. and uh, environmental damage. Um, so yeah, you've got pretty much everything you need with the evil like Shinra Corporation um, and Gaia as a model. Right. Um, I so, suppose yeah. a very timely uh, point for a re-release remake. Yeah, I mean, if we ever see the uh, re-release, I mean, we really only had some sort of stock footage um i say stock footage some cgi like uh footage uh what was it like three years ago at one of the mm. conferences and we haven't really heard much about it since i know there were a couple of job postings and they were definitely like hiring for it but um yeah they've, they've yet to release like mm. anything substantial 
I know it's going to be episodic was like I think the last bit bit of big so news that came out dumb. honestly that for all we know that could easily be dead now as a, as a yeah. concept I mean look I mean um, Final Fantasy 14 for example like you know they put that game out it was an unmitigating disaster when it uh, when it first uh, launched the closed the game down and uh, relaunched it and so there's a fascinating documentary on that on uh, no clip actually about the whole um history of uh, final fantasy 14 which that's, is well worth checking out that's happened a couple games recently that i can recall right like i think there have been multiple games that like they've come out um they've been borderline unplayable and they basically have to uh unrelease it essentially and well, you know they it. uh nintendo just uh, jettisoned all the work on metroid prime uh four mm-hmm. for uh, the switch and wow. just said like starting over different studio um it's like man what kind of I would give anything to uh, play that game to see like how could it have possibly so been so bad as to justify this. So I think this is kind of an interesting segue for something that we we wanted to cover this episode, and uh, maybe it's a good time to sort of shift this to how does the gaming industry work? Uh, what what are kind of its ills? What is it fucking up? And so you know something that I think a lot of folks have thought about and are aware of is that. Nearly half of game developers want to unionize, and uh, that's really interesting. So, so we're just jumping straight into the news, then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this whole like flipping the script thing, scratch it, screw it. <laughs> we're starting with news from now on. Let's, uh, I mean, I, I think half of all game developers want to unionize, and this is huge. Um, we've been hearing for years about <clears throat> like people just like you know families being torn apart, mental breakdowns. Um, this is like kind of a huge deal, I think. And uh, uh, an, another news story this past week is uh, Google, um, like, pushing, like, I, we, we probably should have read this article first because I want to misrepresent what actually happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, a bunch of uh, Google employees had a uh, walkout um, because of uh, various issues. But one of the big ones was that they were doing artificial intelligence work for the military. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, the you know the Google credo, which a lot of these uh, developers take very seriously, is do no evil. Um, and so Google has been like taking measures to try and prevent uh, worker organization on uh, Gmail, mm-hmm. which is like you know absurd. Um, hot topic right now. I don't quite know what to say about. That. I mean, every corporation like fears unionization. It's, it's especially in in the U.S. Um, yeah. I just can't uh, like in the modern era, um, you know, the exploitation of game developers is just shocking. It is. I and mean, it's it, well, it, and we hear it's a lot so... about the we hear a lot about the crunch time. Uh, the three of us are not unfamiliar with the concept. Of, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little uh, bit of background. We're all like startup douchebags, so like we definitely have put in like the you know eighty hour work weeks. Well, one um, the correct thing that he did say <laughs> about that is uh, he is a douchebag. No, just kidding. This guy. Um, How do we do? But uh, uh, but in all seriousness, I think something that's uh, really interesting with the game development industry is, unlike the rest of most of software engineering, there isn't really the same kind of balance of I think supply and demand for. It's not really some reason. I think it's a very very clear cut and well understood reason. Uh, lots of engineers want to write video games because it doesn't feel like work. You're creating art. You're creating something. Uh, it's intrinsically fun. And uh, unfortunately, that leads to exploitation. Right. And another one is uh, machismo. Like, right. it's a very yeah. male-dominated industry. And uh, we tend to show off based on, like, you know, you know, look what I did. I'm a tough guy. I put in 80-hour fucking work weeks. Um, the, the machismo uh, permeates the game industry from, like, the types of games that get released uh, to the, uh, 
you know, community. I mean, I don't know uh, if I necessarily want to miss. I don't know if I necessarily want to miss the words that way. I have a much more sanguine view of the industry, which is I think that there is widespread um, exploitation of folks who are on the Burger spectrum, uh, and it's super fucked up. I mean, here yeah, you've the got robots. Let's just call them what they are. Robots. No, they're not robots. They're they're call folks... us what we are. No, they're they're folks that have to varying degrees really enjoy intricate detailed things they work on and it's sort of a uh it's an outgrowth of our society which really doesn't treat such people very kindly um and it extends to the game industry you know you've got people who have a little social skill and tactility to argue for what they want fight for what they want uh without suffering a certain amount of political damage and you have folks who don't have the capability to do that and they just get steamrolled mm. um and oftentimes it's those who are you know, politically adept and able to function well in social situations who rise to the top. And as far as they're concerned, everyone else can, you know, suffer uh, as long as they get to have their just spoils. Uh, so it is, I mean, I don't want to keep things that political, but the, the truth is uh, video games are the dominant media of the time. They're the most lucrative media that currently exists right now. So once that's, the, that's a really loaded statement. By, I, but is it's Instagram it's, it's by the order uh, of magnitude? Yes. Wait, yes. compared they, to Instagram, compared yes. to like Twitter? Oh we're, yeah. We're, we're, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm talking about music and film. I'm talking when when Yeah, uh, and I'm talking about social where like, you know, Netflix is saying their biggest competitor is uh well Fortnite actually. Fortnite, we talked about yeah. like last time. Yeah. I, I don't Case know. in point, right? Case in point. I, like, well okay. We'll we'll have to do some research for the next episode, but I think like if you stack up I I would I'm not making any claims, but I'd be very interested in seeing like how does uh video gaming compare to uh T V media, Netflix, all that put together, uh to uh social media like sitting around and liking your uh friends. Well I think I think it's uh, erroneous to sort of uh imply that there's a distinction between the two. I think that generationally Fortnite is becoming a social media yeah, form that, itself. That, yeah. that was the last episode. We we discussed I also I don't so. I don't necessarily think that it's a the, the comparison is apt either between social media and video games. I think sure. the more apt comparison is between the music industry and the, uh, and the film industry. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, I think it was last year they, uh, it was published that um, uh, video games were outperforming both um, film and uh, Oh, that, that's been the case for like over like 10 or 20 years. Well, so film is the more interesting comparison because music is for me the way I, so I write music myself, uh, but music to me is more of an ambient thing. It's a soundtrack for other things that I'm doing. Film is an it's an activity I have to do. I can't really have it in the yeah, background. You can't split your attention with film. Exactly. So that's where I think it makes more of an app comparison. Because if I get home, I want to unwind. I may choose to either watch some TV or play a video game. So if I'm cannibalizing something, it's not going to be whatever energy, money, whatever I put into music. It's going to be oh, I don't want to watch TV today. I actually have this game. I'm really excited to play. Uh, I'm going to do that. Right, but we're a little bit off topic now. Mm, uh, sure. Going back to uh, you know. Game developers, unions. Um, obviously, what's at stake here is that you know games are going to be more expensive, and I think that you know I've, I've been like in video games in one way or another for like twenty five years, and uh, back in the nineties, uh, games cost about fifty or sixty dollars. I don't and, think games. I disagree. With that I keep going. What's that? I don't think the games are even more expensive. But keep going. Well, I mean, games are still fifty or sixty dollars. Um, yeah. You don't think that uh, unions are going to? I first of all, I think that games getting more expensive would be fantastic because like the, the the cheapness of video games right now is why we have like you know loot boxes, we have like red dots, Disagree. and I'm, I'm still obsessed with like the red we, dot. We talked like, about this in the first episode where yeah. I asked you guys straight like 
would you rather pay a hundred like dollars for the base game um then no. or for, i should say for the entire game rather than this like season pass dlc nonsense that so we, we put up with right now here's what i think right now so i think you're, you're both touching on some good topics but so here's why i don't think unionization is going to be a bad thing for game prices um I, I think increased prices would be a good thing but go on no i so i don't think that it's an issue to have increased prices i just don't think you're even going to need to get there if you have unionization because right now the way video games are developed is extremely inefficient um so it's developed by people who are fucking idiots and if anybody's watched right now who runs a video game firm I, uh i i would like to have a conversation opinion. with you not our uh, opinion so but what I'm getting at is, so one thing that you'll find in the software engineering industry, and the video game is part of that industry, is you have this idea of crunch time. So what is crunch time? It's this idea for some reason, as you approach a deadline, you have to start working hours that are beyond the point where psychological studies show you can do good work. Beyond this point, you begin to actually remove value and screw up work rather than making better work. Um, so why would anyone who's putting money into a product they want built do this? The reason is they're idiots. Well, um, it's, it's a lot so, to do with the fact that the, the people that pour the money, um, it gets poured through by investors, uh, into said company. Right. So the people who are actually giving the money don't understand the process. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so, and they don't really get a lot of visibility into that either. Yeah. So they're dealing with, uh, with people that are trying their best to hide, a lot of the complexity mm -hmm. um, to just keep that funnel of money open. And we see that a lot with the startup industry as well, Yep. where investors and VCs, uh, venture capitalists aren't really shown how the sausage is made behind the scenes, because if they were, they would probably get very frightened because it's highly technical and one thing goes wrong and the whole pie falls apart. It's very similar for, for the video game industry. Wait, um, is it a sausage or pie or is it a sausage it's pie? It's a sausage pie. Everyone knows that. I don't even know how that's the question. Let's go uh, for uh, let's go out for shepherd's pie after this. Um, so yeah, basically, I, I think to your point, it's not it's not a case that these people are idiots. It's a case that people are maliciously coming between um, uh, the, the, the or getting in the middle of, of, a, of a natural conversation that should be happening between people between people who invest money and the people who actually have to work for the money. I think we might be day. getting at the same point. So I I want to sort of say, what, what I'm thinking here is like Hanlon's razor, never attribute to malice what can be explained by incompetence. So I have to, until I meet specific people in person, I can't say, oh, they're doing it maliciously. I have to say, they really just don't understand that the way they manage things is counterproductive to their end goals. Everyone who's running a video game studio wants to make money, right? So if they think about it, actually it's in their best interest to not have crunch time, to not create these conditions that make game developers' lives miserable. That's yeah. why unionization, I think, is a good thing because you'll start seeing more effective processes come into the picture. You'll start seeing more sustainable processes come into the picture. People will get more done with less time because they're not working themselves beyond their human capacities. Mm. Um, once that starts to happen, when the industry becomes healthier, it will also become more efficient. Um, and what I'm saying, by the way, is it's very boring Keynesian economics. This has sort of been like very, very orthodox economic theory for like over 100 years. Uh, but this is why I'm saying when I'm saying they're idiots, I'm being very hyperbolic here. Uh, I think I think they're they're well intentioned, but they're very, very misguided. And I think they're very, very amateurish. Well, it's I don't think there's anybody inside of the industry, like you know, developers who hasn't uh, heard of or uh, read uh, the Mythical Man Month, mm -hmm. um, but uh, the investors haven't, and uh, that gulf is 
you know, mm. it's very problematic. I think it's also a good time to talk about, um, I think, uh, the world of investment and investor sophistication is something that's changing on a day-to-day basis. And investors, just like anyone else you work with in business, comes in all, they come in all shapes and sizes and all levels of experience. Uh, some are very sophisticated and don't want to When you say shapes money. and sizes, do you mean like overweight, underweight, tall, short? You don't no, have to add No body shaming here. Um, so I think what I'm talking about there is that some investors uh, have some money and they want to put it somewhere. Uh, they're not necessarily professionals. Some investors take money and make more money from it. They live and die by their ability to do that. Yeah. Um, the latter group you'll find do their own paranoia, which is healthy. They want to know where the sausage is made. They want to figure out where the risks are. They want to make sure that what they're buying is not going to result in them getting duped. Mm. Uh, and them getting duped could be hiring poor management that says they're doing one thing and does something much, much worse. Okay, but when these hang- AAA companies are um, are public as well, publicly traded. That's what I was going to mm-hmm. say. It's like you talk about like investors, and it's not the same as the uh, startup industry, which again, three of us are wrapped up in. Where there are, when we say in- investor, it's actually an individual that you can like put a face on and put a name on. Um, most of these are like publicly traded companies, and uh, then it just is like this whole like it, it, I live to enhance shareholder value problem. So shareholder, but yeah, it becomes about the replace investor with board, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the board itself becomes like the group of investors, usually right. just as mid, like ill informed as the investors. Totally, and I think, <laughs> but I think what you're getting at, Eric, is a much more like I think it's a great counterpoint to my argument, and the only way I'd respond to that is. I think that um, the root this is this is something that's really way more of a hunch. I can't really say with exact evidence the case, but I think the main reasons why these public AAA companies still have these issues is uh, you have so much politics with a company of that size, uh, and the incentive structures are not set up correctly. Uh, you have very very short term thinking. Um, you don't have like when you have public companies. It actually magnifies a lot of the problems that we're talking about because you have the tragedy of the commons. You've got, you know, a bunch of shareholders who think they're buying a widget, but you're not buying a widget. You're uh, you're not buying a commodity. Creating a video game is much more like the opposite of that. You're creating a one-off thing that exists in perpetuity afterwards. Mm. So all the processes you create to that uh, you, you would want to adapt to creating a bunch of things that are the same. Uh, it, it's the complete opposite. Like the machine is almost completely inverted. You create a production line for making cars, right? That's the total opposite of making a video game that you make, you write once and do some maintenance afterwards, and it creates value for you over time. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what has me worried about this uh, movement, which I think is like very necessary, very, very overdue, is uh, a more of a cultural one, which in um, you know the United States, we have this like culture of a rugged individualism mm. that is frankly uh, very counter to unionization. Um, it's what the industry needs, and uh, yeah, there is a cultural shift going on. Um, you know, look at all the uh, the the fanfare and of uh, our new uh, representative Ocasio Cortez. Yeah, um, I, I think that with the millennial era, it's much more open to this uh, sort of policy and movement. But the game industry is still so machismo driven. I don't think that they're a natural fit for it. We the. You're right. Identifying, like I think the new generation, um, the millennial generation, the one coming up behind it, are uh, probably through like social media, as we've been talking about earlier, like far more open to discussing things that are going on in their own lives mm. um, in intricate detail. 
because they've been posting pictures about it since they were 12 Yeah, years I, I guess it's much easier to unionize when you like have a GoFundMe page where it's like, hey, I can't afford my health care and I actually have like a reasonably good job. When um, when I was like first uh, starting to work, uh, and certainly in your generation, uh, it was very uncouth to talk about how much you were getting paid. Mm. Um, in fact, you were you know you were actively discouraged from talking about compensation. Yeah. Now everyone wants to have an open conversation like conversation about it because the only way that we can stick together is like as workers is if we understand how much each of us is getting paid. And that's how you learn about like wage inequality and other things, not just between sexes, but between like different disciplines, like different areas and all that, all that jazz. So it's like, I, yeah, I think that generationally it's, there's a tipping point coming for the industry anyway. Um, you saw it last year with the, um, the voiceover artists like unionizing right, uh, for right, video right. games and that was successful. Um, and the, the, you know, the publishers and the developers, they, they have to cave. Yeah. and give into the demand. So I, I think we'll see it with um, with the actual like boots on the ground developers. And when we talk about video game developers, by the way, that's a that's a, a large swath of people. Like you're talking about artists, like uh, actual like coders, um, but you know other people that don't get usually a look in, like project managers and uh, QA testers and all that, and all that. So unionization would be it's going to help out so many people. Yeah. So I think that. Um... You know, to uh, I don't know how much we want to actually spend uh, talking on this topic. So I don't want us to spend this entire episode talking about politics. So uh... this is actually important because a lot of people they jump into discussions on you know Reddit or YouTube and whatever. Mm-hmm. You see people getting angry because the price of games is going sure. up, but most people don't understand why. And it's so it's easy to jump on the bandwagon and be like, oh, you know, to hell with all this DLC right. and like uh, all this monetization. But you've got to understand, like, what's going on underneath. Like, mm-hmm. why are these things happening? And so I'm hoping that we're coming from it from a slightly different sure. standpoint. So uh, I guess actually talk about that, uh, to bring up something that we we talked we touched on very briefly earlier. Um, I hope that one of the positive side effects of unionization, uh, if it occurs, is that we start to see... I mean, Massachusetts has introduced a bill to ban loot boxes, mm-hmm. uh, essentially equating it with gambling. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's great. I think that loot boxes are super lucrative because gambling's really lucrative. Uh, that doesn't mean it shouldn't be regulated like gambling because, you know, if you're calling uh, your biggest customers whales, the same term that uh, casinos use, and you're exploiting what's essentially their illness, you're making sure that they empty out their pockets uh, in your video game. We as a country decided a long time ago that that's fucked up and that's yeah. not okay. Uh, and I think, you know, whatever, however we want to moralize that or not, I do think the quality of video games will go up if there isn't this economic incentive around loot boxes, which, let's be honest, really dilute the quality of the games. Uh, that's the Absolutely. biggest issue. And that, that's been, I think, proven time and time again. Um, you're, you're actually changing the fundamental balance of the game when you introduce uh, loot boxes um, because the incentive uh, for a player to perform a certain action uh, is completely skewed. Right. Um, yeah, and of course that's going to have an effect on, uh, on on the actual gameplay and, and your experience as a player. So we need to get rid of and cut out that kind of nonsense. If that means mm-hmm. increasing the base price of the game, the, like publishers keep saying, "Oh well, we won't do that. We'll we'll, no, we'll make these like optional like mm-hmm. uh, you know loot boxes, so you don't have to have them." What mm-hmm. most players I think don't realize is that 
you're actually losing out more because you're paying $60 for a base game and not actually getting to play the game that you think you're going to play. Right. Um, you're playing half a game or some subset of a game. Like To get the full experience, you have to pay an extra 100 bucks uh, to unlock some loot crates to, to get you know, either the, like the character enhancements, the power-ups, the XP bonuses mm-hmm. that you need to make the game, the game feel like it's balanced and fair. Um, so that's why I say make the game increase to the value that it actually costs to produce. Stop hiding it behind uh, fake like metrics with, mm-hmm. uh, with things like loot boxes and DLC. Because yeah, all it's doing is harming the industry. Right. It's harming the workers, the people that actually have to make the games. In the first okay, but like, and it, it harms the original IP and the credibility of, uh, of the game developers. Well, I'm, I'm going to play like devil's advocate for a second here. Like, obviously, like, you know, people in power will, you know, exploit and know, okay, I, I made $50, so the game is uh, profitable. But if I did this, then it would, I would be making 60 or 70 or $100. Um, but people buy them. Like, you know, people are actually giving them money for these things, which means they want them. Like, you know, where, where is this point where, like, we're telling gamers, players, you, what you're doing is, uh, you know, making the process worse. How do we change the culture of gamers so that they don't want to be, you know, shelling out this money? Because, like, you know, we could, like, reform the game industry and, like, make the game, like, you know, cost $100 instead of $50. Okay, well, now they made their $100 in profit or whatever minus cost of production. Um, but then they, maybe that hundred could be one hundred and fifty if well, they put the loot boxes back in. To that point, like a couple of um, couple of points actually. Um, I think Jim Sterling says it best, and I'm paraphrasing here, where he says, "If you give um, publishers an inch, they'll take the fucking like world," um, which is true to what you're saying. Basically, like, okay, well, if we do increase the base cost, how long is it going to take before publishers start getting greedy again and saying, "Okay, well, yeah, now this game is, you know." It's profitable again at its base price, but you know it could be more profitable. Yeah. I, um. So I think you have to put actual like law into place there. There has to be regulation on the industry. I mean, law, law. Yes, uh, that's important. But I also think that we need a cultural shift where like there is like a era of uh, gamers who do not want to be so taken my, advantage of. My second point. To. My second point there is that that did happen and has happened a couple of times in the last year where we saw huge gamer backlash. Um, Take Battlefront as uh, sure, uh, sure, Battlefront sure. Two. Right. That was probably the the biggest example last year of uh, of, of just the yeah. shit hitting the fan. Gamers said enough. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen a publisher like tuck their uh, tail between their legs quite like that before. Yeah. Because I mean, also because they were uh, the heavy hand of Disney was like coming down on top of them as well. So mm. to make EA scared is pretty pretty difficult thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, Disney is going to be able to do that to you. It's going to make you shit your pants. Um, These are all good trends. So yeah, I, I think, um, and, and a lot of this, like, unfortunately, uh, even within our own community, another thing that we have to solve is like respect uh, between player types, groups, and outlets. Like, mm-hmm. right now, there's too much like anger between um, video game like uh, media outlets, like you know, Kotaku and Polygon, the Joe Schmo players. Mm-hmm. Um, the YouTubers, the Twitch streamers, like we're not united uh, as a community. In fact, we're probably more separated than, than ever. Uh, and I don't want to dive, delve too far into, into the political ramifications and, uh, and, and the history there. But I think it's best if we could start to move on and patch up some of these wounds. Like, I don't think you have to be angry at Kotaku 
because they want to publish an article about something that you don't particularly care about in the gaming industry or mm-hmm. something that up, you know you think has nothing to do with gaming just let them be them like mm-hmm. really it's like you don't have to read Kotaku That's, you don't have to read Polygon I think you don't the, have to like watch okay okay you're, you're you're talking to people though who are like it's not that they don't want to read Kotaku anybody could not read Kotaku it's as easy as like closing your browser tab these are people who see the argument as sport well yes mm. and no I think they're so this is again like this is going too far in, the, in one direction like you want to jump on the bandwagon and, and get angry at these types of people because you think that they enjoy being angry. I actually do, yes. I think actually there's a yeah, quite I, a I few of them. About that. I think there's quite a few of uh, people that actually feel that they're under attack. Mm-hmm. They genuinely. And I know that's hard for you to absorb. I think there's no, also... I, you uh, and I have had conversations no, about this I, before. I, I get that. I, I absolutely do. But there there's a difference between them and the ones who like feed the fire of course there's always going to be trolls there's trolls in everything like yeah you can't get away from them but they do not make the majority the majority of the people that get yeah they may get clickbait into joining those marches um but they're not the 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 ones that are like actually like going and seeking this like stuff out but they are people that are going actually i've noticed that the culture that i enjoyed five years ago is very different to how it is today Mm -hmm. and i feel like my representation is being shelved or has become less important now that could be because the coverage has changed it might actually have nothing to do with how the publishers or the developers treat making a game Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly i think it's easy to look and take a cross-section of most of the media outlets and feel like traditional gaming as a subculture has lost a bit of its identity so i think um so i totally agree with everything you said i think one thing to keep in mind uh, with video game journalism is that it is an industry. And I think that this is really, uh, like, there are a lot of layers to this that people grapple with. And I think what we're, what we're engaging in right now and what other folks who make podcasts like we uh, do engage in is sort of doing a grassroots level, uh, making our own media, DIYing it ourselves. That's something that has kind of, um, if you look at, media about video games and you get the feeling that all you see is astroturf when you want some green grass Mm -hmm. um there's a certain level of alienation of this looks like something that i thought was something else and i'm confused by it and like at a very very primal human level uh my like my like reptile brain is going off saying destroy this destroy this because this is scary and this is dangerous Mm -hmm. and i think to some level that's kind of true um I think that the things that lead to making uh, a successful journalism outlet are not necessarily the things that make for a happy reader. Uh, in fact, I think they're almost diametrically opposed in this yeah. day and age. Uh, so, and I don't think the answer to that is to just complain about it and to to sink down to their level. And that's something that I've seen happen. I think you can't, you know, don't let someone drag you down their level because they'll be with experience. I think the way forward is to say we can do better than this. Yeah. Um, and I think people are starting to get this and we are starting to see some of this grassroots um, shifts take place where people are not just saying, oh, you know, the media industry is corrupt and blah, blah. It's like, no, you know, the media industry has all these issues and we're going to take one step forward. We're going to make our own media and we're going to leave them behind. So I, you know, there are a couple of uh, examples uh, in the last few months where, um, as you said, like, you know, DIY creators, like that's a huge part of why YouTube and, uh, and Twitch blew up because people wanted a different t- 
take. They mm-hmm. wanted to see a bit more of themselves in the coverage. Sure. Uh, and that's very easy for us to do. Like, we want to feel comfortable. Like, um, And sometimes we want to enjoy a subculture because it identifies with our passions. And it's hard to let other people in because they change the dynamic mm-hmm. uh, of that subculture. And that might not be necessarily a bad thing, but it might not be the direction you want that subculture to change to. Mm-hmm. Um, because you just kind of liked it the way it was. Right. So, you know, we have to take all that with a grain of salt and mm-hmm. be as accepting um, as humanly possible within the confines of being a human being. Right. It's hard. Like, it really is. It takes a, a certain amount of training uh, to become really accepting um, and understanding because you've got to fight back some real base instincts, as you describe, right. that makes me want to burn things with fire that I don't necessarily right. understand. I even feel that in work where right. I have to learn a new skill immediately like my first reaction is oh i don't want to do that right, right. um but you know like right now i'm learning like video editing and, and audio stuff and i was like at first i was like i really don't want to do this like mm-hmm. you know i'm 34 years old it's another like set of stuff mm-hmm. i have to go and uh, go ahead and learn but once you start getting into it it's fun and you realize yeah. that actually i should never have been opposed to this in the first place it's mm-hmm. kind of enjoyable and once i let it in it can actually enrich me as, a, as an individual so we need to do that also with like the kind of media that we intake and we read and like and we watch and not be so quick to try and, you know, go one down one rabbit hole or another mm-hmm. too far. Um, what I've noticed in like the last few months, to get back to the point, uh, is that there are a couple of outlets that are, uh, or, or uh, Kickstarters, uh, other uh, fundraising campaigns about, um, there are at least two of them now, uh, about starting new news outlets uh, that are free of politics. Mm. Like they basically want to produce content that's completely free of politics. I think that's impossible. Yeah. Because you oh. are covering games that are not apolitical right there there's no there's no such thing as an art form that's apolitical um i mean or at least you're gonna have to try very hard to find one almost every artist almost every creator uh has a political point of view that Mm -hmm. they are either consciously or subconsciously injecting into their work and if they don't it's like to take um but to take sort of uh the counterpoint that argument because i i actually agree with that but i do see where that other side is coming from. And I think it's really valuable to have there. Um, I do think there's space for... So I think, first of all, uh, one thing I want to say is I think one thing I agree with you about is that we should understand there is space for everybody. There's space for all these different subcultures of video games. Of course, yeah. There's, it's a non-zero-sum game. If yeah. one culture wins, that doesn't mean the other one loses. That's the point I'm trying know? to make, yeah. Um, and so kind of beyond that, I think kind of what I see with these outlets that want to be politics-free, uh, I, while I do think they're misguided, I think there is an intention there that makes sense. And it's less about stripping politics from video games, because I think that's impossible, like you said. Yeah. But there is some idea of uh, writing about things in a way that centers politics and yeah. a way that centers aesthetics. I, uh, and that's yeah. kind of, I, I want to go on a little bit more about that. I do, one of my biggest, I think, I think the most damning criticism I have of, uh, well, not really just the video game uh, journalism industry, but the journalism industry as a whole is a centering of politics over aesthetics. Uh, I think that when you talk about aesthetics, you end up getting to politics at some point. Even if it's not your overall focus, when you're trying to talk about all these points about what makes something beautiful, what mm-hmm. makes something enjoyable, uh, you end up getting to politics along the way. Uh, unfortunately, I don't believe the opposite happens. You talk about politics, you never get to the idea of what's pretty and what's beautiful. Yeah. You never get that along the way. What you actually get to, sadly, a lot of times, is what are the ugliest parts of human nature. And I think that's where this, this sort of uh, fatigue with being forced to look at ugliness all day comes from it's 
hey, you know, video games are an escape for me. Video games are a way for me to enjoy the part of my life that I have a little bit of time left mm-hmm. um, to enjoy. I want that to be beautiful and pretty. So there's sort of this feeling of if someone wants to take that and politicize it, the rest of my life is already political and ugly. I wake up, I go to work, um, dealing with social situations, talking about politics on a day-to-day basis. That's fatiguing. I want to retreat from that, recharge. Yeah. It so uh, fouls the escapism. Right. Yeah, right. I was going to say, like, I think another part of that is that with a game, you have control over the mm-hmm. politics. Right. So um, if you want to shape the way the world uh, is, is working, you can do that. And I feel, you know, a lot of it, a lot of us feel completely helpless to do anything um, mm-hmm. politically um, in the world that we actually live in. Right. So, yeah, you're right. It, it does ruin uh, the veneer of like uh, of the escapism that so many of us enjoy. I think this uh, ties directly into a uh, huge news thing. And we really should have included this on the uh, talking points, which is the latest uh, Assassin's Creed DLC, mm. which uh, here's like a game where they took this uh, notion of being a self-directed player very seriously um, all the way up to like, you know, you can have like a gay character or whatever. And then they, you know, just as a plot point, completely railroad you after the fact, after all these opportunities to define your own character and whether you want to uh, live to railroad them into this uh, relationship that a lot of people didn't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I, I think that speaks to the, uh, foolishness of trying to make a, uh, you know, really open world game where you can define any way to play that you want. I think we need more like story driven games. This whole notion of like, you know, free choice in a game, it's very anti auteur. Right. Um, there I are think very it's... few sandbox games that have actually pulled off right. um, being able to have a linear story at the same time as giving you like freedom of, uh, of, of movement and yeah. freedom of choice. I mean, but, so by me... trying that and then like doing this, like it's so. I mean, I, I've become really fatigued with the uh, Assassin's Creed um, series, even mm. um, the sort of reboot with uh, Origins um, a couple of years ago, uh, or last year actually. Was it that? That's a little, a little older than that, I think. Um, Maybe. Anyway, um, it, I played it for a little bit and I just put it down because it is basically just more Assassin's Creed. And there's not anything wrong with that, but I think after like mm. you've played five or six versions of the same game you just have to say there are better games out there now right. but i understand or different like, at least i understand why odyssey seemed like you know uh, a change in direction for the for the series in terms of okay this is more like an rpg now uh and less like a sort of like stealth like um third person like action game um the open world really like sort of takes on its own and i guess you um you really can well okay so i'm gonna say this and people are probably gonna disagree with me a lot here but i, I think the uh the notion of like player choice in in odyssey is is uh completely overrated mm-hmm. i think yeah okay so you get a little bit more dialogue choice and you can go and have sex with uh whoever you want at various points in the game but it's not it's not like you can just go into a village and pick a villager and go hey you I mean, you and I are going to go and get down. If you've got an open world game and you can't uh, walk into that game and say, you know what, rather than being an assassin, I want to be a janitor and spend the rest of the game scrubbing toilets. If it doesn't like yeah. offer for that, then you, yeah, you've failed. See, you've already like, failed. And you shouldn't have tried it in the first place. Yeah, I'm going to hark back to the past here, but one of my favorite like uh, games, one of my fem- favorite MMORPGs ever was um, Star Wars Galaxies because mm. it was a true sandbox game. You could go into that game and yeah, they were like, certain classes but they were so open in so many different directions you wanted to be a dancer in like uh, in a cantina you'd be a dancer in a cantina you want to be a musician there 
be a musician you yeah. want to basically create an entire band together right. you can do that now we're back to uh you know second life basically yeah like say yeah yeah like second life which is, is that even a, is it a game yeah um which uh, sh- uh called the last uh, episode uh finite and infinite games that's where um, read the book second uh second life is probably exactly where like something like instagram is like naturally heading mm-hmm well, actually, uh, one, some would say it's already there yet. So on Instagram, uh, so there's this company called Brud, FYI. Uh, that's literally the name, including the FYI. So there is this character on Instagram called Lil Michaela, and she is completely CG animated, rendered. Uh, she's placed into basically all these uh, posts on Instagram at famous parts of LA. She's at all these hip influencer parties. For all intents and purposes, she is an it girl. The difference being she's not real. She's yeah. got millions of followers. Uh, people interact with her on Instagram like she is a real person. And I think that we're already there. You know, uh, Lil Michaela has a bunch of friends and uh, rivals who are also not uh, actual real human beings. Yeah. So I think we've already gotten there, yeah. you know. Uh, and I think, I think it's honestly I'm kind of a fan of it because – the alternative for Instagram was for it to become literally the worst thing in the world. So the reason I started, I think, uh, really getting into MMOs when I was younger was because I just didn't like my hometown. I didn't enjoy mm-hmm. yeah. most of the people around me. So I wanted to go home every day and escape into something that you know was fantastical, magical, uh, and gave me an opportunity to be something that I wasn't able to be you know, where I was at the time. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people feel that way. So I had a similar sort of situation growing up and it was how I got into the MMOs I got into as well. The thing that Instagram will, the reason I think it's heading towards like Second Life and isn't quite there yet is because it's still too attached to uh, reality. Mm -hmm. Um, It is still pictures of like, of of actual like places. Um, But... (laughs) It's almost there in the sense. That. It's almost there in the sense that none of it's all staged. Yeah. Um, you know. Right. I, I see. Like when I go out with my uh, girlfriend and we having we're having dinner. Um, Wait, did you make up that avocado toast? Yeah. <laughs> is that so, CG avocado toast? Of course it is. I yeah. no, but uh, you know she'll stop the meal. You know, for the first five minutes to get the perfect shot for Instagram. Um, and, you because know, that shot's more important than actually enjoying the meal. I, well, I mean, for her, no. Ah, that's not fair. For her, you can have both. No. But um, the, the the thing is, we're, we've got to that point now where it is just as important to get that perfect shot uh, as it is to enjoy the experience, like right. the tangible experience. It is kind of hyper-real, though. You know, it's like you basically take reality and you shine it until it's so airbrushed and perfect that all of a sudden that image becomes reality itself and is substituted for the thing that was meant to represent. Uh, which essentially is a theory written by a guy named Jean Baudrillard. Um, that is a very well-trodden uh, is path. A water signifier? Uh, signifiers and signified. I'm not sure if that was it. But yeah. See, I, like the way, I like the way you're making fun of him for saying that, and yet you're the one who makes a reference to some book in every single episode. <laughs> yeah. no, no, I'm not making fun of him. I mean, I mean, it's more like an acknowledgement. It's like, yeah, Baudrillard. Yeah. Cool. Uh, but I do think what you're getting at is really true, though, which is, and when we're talking about video signer games, signifier. We're, sorry, what? Uh, signer signifier was that it? Um, signifier and signified. Is that really okay? Go on. I don't know if that's um, 
I don't know if that's the name of the book, but I know that's the main concept that's talked about. Let me look this up later. Uh, but when we're when we're thinking about video games and we're talking about virtual realities, essentially, when we're when we're playing video games, we are talking about this, and that's why it's it's so interesting to talk about how Instagram is approaching that because you know technology is so interesting in how we have these things that are not quite reality and they're not quite fictional. They're hybrids. They're uh, in a lot of ways, original augmented reality, right? So what you're talking about is sort of like, okay, I'm going, I'm getting the shot. And in a way that's becoming its own purpose, its own goal. Uh, this thing that used to be just eating food is now a combination of eating food and turning that into a piece of content I can share and gain social capital for. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that makes sense to me actually. Yeah. All right. So I think this is actually a pretty good segue um, into the next talking point. There's no way we're going to get through all four of these, um, which is uh, Fortnite demands or dance emotes, um, which is uh, about this. I'm going to stop allowing Fortnite news to be uh, part of this because uh, yeah, every you, week we have to well, cover well, Fortnite. But you know what? Every time we bring up Fortnite, someone has to do a Fortnite dance. And then uh, in... now you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, like, are we going to do the, the flossing? flossing? No. Yeah. Okay. But like, it, it is like right now, today, uh, early 2019, Fortnite is culture. Um, so like, you know, can you actually like have a discussion about gaming without bringing it up? I don't think so. Even though I've never well, played I it. I think we can do it, but just not in every single episode, which is what's <laughs> happened so far. Okay. But so th- this is super goddamn weird. Um, I, th- th- this is a interesting case because you have like, sort of the uh, monolith, the corporation versus the little guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically copyright overreach comes from the big guy. And if anything, we're talking about an expansion of copyright powers from the little guy. This seems a little bit insane to me. Um, I don't think this lawsuit's going to go anywhere. This guy's going to fucking lose really, These really guys, because it's like three different cases, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. it's not going to go anywhere because uh, they don't have... IP, the way that intellectual property works, doesn't extend the way they want it to. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate for them because the problem with with dances is that you can't necessarily copyright the dance itself. It's not like music where you can copyright a song, right? You can copyright the, the abstract idea of something. Uh, for some reason, intellectual property across the world, you can't do the same thing with dance, even though for all intents and purposes, choreography should be theoretically just as copyrightable as music it simply is not i mean it would make like you know gang signs like copyrightable it's pretty ridiculous well i guess i mean maybe that's part of it right is that it's so if you can make motions and like dance over it it overlaps with so many parts of just being a normal human being so much that's kind of it's challenging to say well were you really the first person who came with that dance yeah you know how do you prove this and beyond that it's like okay you can copyright your performance of this dance you can copyright uh calling it a certain dance like the name of it you can trademark that but the actual so dance you can itself, actually say floss on the uh, dance exactly if, if, yeah. if this as person wanted to copyright flossing as a dance that is actually within their right but to say you can't do that dance and use that dance elsewhere that's never going to okay. fly in well, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of a devil's advocating here but like epic makes you know a billion dollars or whatever off of mm-hmm. a Fortnite, and some of the success of that is based on your youtube video mm-hmm. um they made a billion dollars and you get like a couple dollars i mean so um, i mean and again this is something that I'm, I'm coming back to i think it would be 
I think what Epic's doing right now is they're balancing cer- several kinds of risk, right? And so even if they're going to win this lawsuit, they're going a lot of reputational risk and bad PR. If I were them, I would give a payout. to. The, I wouldn't necessarily give a payout to this guy. I would bring him on and have him be a spokesperson Say instead of worrying about bad PR, why don't I have this person be free advertising? That's a good point. You know, sure, yeah. sure. I don't want. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to be the judge um, to have to rule on this case. Oh yeah, it, it is. It's pretty epic. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> Ooh, brutal, brutal. Yeah, no. It's like really like yeah. You know, okay, like eight years of law school, and I get to wear the robes, and I'm talking to these idiots about a dance in a video game. Well, um, to be fair, they should have known what they were signing up for when they went to law school. Well, I know this is more of like a monumental like copyright case. Yeah. Because it has far-reaching implications. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to lose. It's not going to go anywhere. But it's going to um, be interesting uh, what the proceedings look like. You know, I wonder, I, I wonder what's going to actually happen, what parts of the argument are actually admissible. Because I don't think that they're going to be it's going to be completely thrown out of court or i would be surprised if it did and so i wonder the the, the proceedings are going to be hilarious yeah. like if i could watch this on c-span i would i mean it's going to be uh very entertaining uh and i don't think it's intentionally that entertaining mm-hmm. oh but actually i mean that's a good question maybe it is i mean what better way to if you're two milli and you want to become relevant again because the shelf life of a like rapper who makes their brand off a gimmick is i don't know a couple months you go and you get into a legal tiff with a company that basically took your your the idea and the brand that's associated with you and made you come up and made you famous and they're going to rip that off and not make you part of it whether or not they win the ip case it's a good way to sort of make a controversy and manufacture one whether you win or lose this guy is going to get a ton of publicity and a bunch of a boost just by entering the arena. True, true. So it's basically like a lot of squawking and wasting everybody's time. Yeah. The pie is so huge, but it only goes to one person. Right, right. And with that, I think we'll move on to uh, Eric. What are you playing? <laughs> We're back to that now. <laughs> well, I think we should get back to, uh, to video games. Well, uh, after... So I downloaded this game about a month ago um, and played it. Uh, did not like it. And then it went on to win, like, you know, Game of the Year or, like, Top 5 by uh, so many different uh, art, um, editorial outlets. So I decided, okay, I really have to give this one another uh, chance. Um, and I wish that this was uh, really in the vocabulary of anybody who, like, did criticism or just wanted to express an opinion on everything, which is that, like, this might be good, but it's not for me. Um, I picked up uh, Into the Breach again. Um, and my God, I hate this game. Uh, <laughs> I, so tell, before actually before continuing, like, um, did you? Because uh, I think we talked about you and I talked about this before. Did you play Advance Wars? I did not. On the no. DS, right. It, but is it was that the kind of game that appealed to you? Well, so like uh, I, I wanted to uh, actually get into this immediately after uh, Robbie talking about right, Fire Emblem, sense, which is yeah. that I have played some of these like uh, turn based. Uh, tactical strategy games. Uh, got a great deal of enjoyment out of them. Um, really love Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm-hmm. And I thought that like Into the Breach would be this like sort of sim- similar uh, bite-sized play. And I, it's very difficult to me for me to say like what it is I don't like about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think this is fun. Um, it, it's a just sort of like move, move, get killed. 
okay, like, I, I get the predictive attacks where you can like kind of see what's coming and uh, react to it before it actually happens. On paper, it all looks so good. I am not having a bit of fun with this game. I, even the uh, graphic styles, like they, they say charmingly retro, and to me I just see like retro, but did you, not um, any special did way. Did you enjoy or did you play chess growing up? Yeah, I played chess. And uh, no, I don't like it. I like uh, Go. There you go. No, I'm not a chess player. You're a heathen. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, counterpoint. Um, I probably one of my favorite games on the original DS um, was uh, Advance Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also picked up uh, Into the Breach, and I love it. Man, I, I think I need to actually like sit and watch you play. Um... I don't think you'll get any more enjoyment from that. <laughs> if you don't enjoy the core mechanic, then um, which is essentially like strategy. I, yeah. I enjoy strategy, though. I'm just not digging this particular implementation of it. Um, but eh, who knows? Playing that, uh, still also a little bit of a new Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe. I hate that name. And then um, reinstalled uh, League of Legends. There's a new champion. No. I want to see what that's all about. Um, it took so. you so long to uninstall it. Bit of league, yeah. Well, I had some uh, hard drive space uh, freed up. Maybe I'll delete it again. Um, but new character Silas, which uh, Cyrus, Silas, Silas. Um, love the backstory. It's a uh, League of Legends. Wait, there's a story to League of Legends. Yeah. Okay. I so I meant to tell you um, because you don't have TV, and a lot of people, uh, I'm sure, don't watch like I don't TV. have a television. Um, but there are now like League of Legend, like uh, little short anime uh, commercials on TV. Well, have you seen this? Uh, I have. I've, I've seen some of this stuff on YouTube, so I've probably seen it, but not in that context. And a thing I wanted to mention about Riot is like their world building is top notch. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, it was a little bit shaky, and they would just like kind of throw in, "Okay, here this character has like a cyberpunk arm on his shoulder or some kind of thing." <laughs> no, it, it was. Re- I'm not joking at all. It was very haphazard and kind of weird. Just, just um, makes me think of Toy Story for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, actually, uh, I think next week the uh, next uh, Lego movie um, is coming uh-huh. out, and it's very like, okay, this one's a ninja, and this one's a uh, space guy. Do they make sense together? No, it's just like what was within reach of my toy box. Right. Mm. Um, actually, uh, Dan Simmons, um, oh, I forgot the title, but he's got a good book about that. Anyway, um, Riot, they did League. They kind of threw all these characters together. And then they started to back up and really rebuild the mythology. And I think if they wanted to, they would have like an IP that was like on the scale of like the X-Men, where you have like literally hundreds of distinct characters in a coherent narrative. Um, and the direction they're moving in, I think that like, you know, in five years, there's going to be like a League of Legends animated series and it might not actually suck. Um, so they have a, uh, particular city, uh, called, uh, Demacia. It's like these, like kind of proud, uh, warriors, not in like an evil sense, but more like, you know, upholding truth and valor. They're the good guys. And the new character that they have, uh, introduced is this sort of like, uh, you know, Valmont a revolutionary who's like, okay, yeah, like maybe we're the good guys, but it's also like this elite structure and like, you know, powers of the people. It's, it's very timely, um, very, uh, sexy. Like they, I'm, I'm serious. Like they were like, okay, now we're going to have like a male character who is like objectively hot, which mm. is interesting because it comes on the, uh, heels of their first openly, uh, lesbian 
character who I think was like kind of botched because it's like a lesbian as written by a heterosexual male. Ooh, very for the, for the best kind of lesbian. <laughs> oh god, uh... she's. I I cringe at the writing, but I'm not a lesbian, so what do I know? Um, but I. Yeah, there you go. So be written by a heterosexual male and being critiqued by a heterosexual male. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, close loop. Um, but anyway, uh, Riot's still just doing a terrific job with mythology. Um, I haven't had a chance to play with the character yet, but uh, he looks like a hell of a good uh, addition to the game. When you say objectively attractive, is like stereotypical, like uh, muscle-bound, like... Butch, like war type that's like gears of war style oh god no oh god no that's that's uh, I, I could definitely talk for hours about uh how difficult it is to uh write a like sexy male character um no uh i don't know how quite how to quite describe this um it it feels like a character i mean yes it is muscle bound but i think written for the uh, feminine gaze hmm. that's kind of how i put it Fair enough. Yeah. Well, none of that makes me want to play the game uh, in the slightest. Uh, Let's talk more I've, about uh, the uh, the mechanics of. I'm these... just not into MOBAs. Well, I guess that's a, so. That's what I want to get into. Is did you ever? Uh, ha- what was the first MOBA you ever played, Simon? If that's any. a good question. Might even have been League. Mm. So yeah, the first it was, one. It was League for me. I skipped yeah. over Dota. The first one I played was like really, really early, like Dota, like basically when it was a Warcraft three map. Um, and that was fucking fun. Uh, what I really liked about it, the same reason why I like the original and early Super Smash Brothers or the later versions, it's why I'm, I mean, kind of an old man when it comes to video games, there's a, a astronomically higher probability I'll like a video game if it was written earlier in time than if it came out today. See, I find that statement, uh, strange because I would say that people who like, uh, MOBAs, uh, are more into a modern style of gaming, which is like fast, quick, pick up and go games. And here I am, the biggest the like MOBA player at this table and the oldest. Yeah, I know it, it blows my mind because like I, I, I need the lore. I need the, like the backstory, like the well, I'm telling narrative. you the lore and backstory in League yeah, has but, gotten really good. But it's not actually in the gameplay. You've no, got to go not. outside of it. To, well, to well, it's it. an eSport. I mean, like to me, um, playing League feels an awful lot it's like, like the, what, uh, people... the Grimoire cards are the like original um, Destiny. It's like, oh yeah, the lore is there. You've just got to go to like x y and well, z website okay. you know, so I to be clear I'm, I'm not in league for the lore but like you know what playing it feels like is like a game of uh pickup basketball it's like this is what i'm gonna do for an hour and it, i'm gonna be good at it it's gonna feel amazing yeah but so, basketball at least you can get fit at the same time MOBA's so like, getting yeah. back so like getting back to what i was talking sorry about, i'm just really anti mobas i think uh <laughs> mobas rule so getting back to it uh I, I think what what i'm getting at here is the reason why i like the early warcraft 3 era like mobas is i think that and League probably has this too. There is a really high uh, skill curve max out, but I just feel like so many Mar video games, they just feel too squishy and slow. Um, I'm a sucker for mechanics. If it's fast and it's just clicky in just the right way, like I love the original Street Fighter. I love the original Super Smash Brothers. Um, Melee's probably my favorite video game of all time because it's just so fucking ridiculous to play. Um, that, I think, I don't know if I've ever talked about uh, this game with you guys. It's just 
South Korean MMO called Guns the Duel. Did I bring this up last episode? Oh yeah, we okay. we had a whole thing about that. Yeah, tell so, us about your favorite FPS. Uh, yeah. gun, well, so basically, I mean that that would be my your favorite, favorite RTS. Sorry, it's, it's I mean, so I want to have. I, I can't find video games that are fast enough. They're all so slow, and it just bores the shit out of me. It, it, I thought you would remember the painstaking effort I went to to cut video game footage of that. Oh uh, Jesus game Christ! Into, yeah, into our first podcast. I watched the damn video. Um, it, it, if you want to see that, you just watch that episode zero. Another thing about League that uh, there's so much craft put into it because they really do think about that, like uh, you know, ramp up in gameplay mm-hmm. where it starts out slow, and uh, there, there's a new uh, mechanic that they just introduced about like additional armor plating on the towers, and it's mm-hmm. all about like extending this particular phase of the game and really mm-hmm. going from like kind of a weak, underpowered, testing out, feeling out, and then just pummeling in um and and uh, that's part of the fun of the game it's mm-hmm. like it really like starts out cool and casual and by the end of the game you're just on the edge of your seat mm-hmm. so here's um, an article the escalation of uh action is really tough it's also mobas yeah. are intrinsically social games that you play in a team setting of some kind or at least around like other entities i don't want to talk to my fuck here here's another uh, article that i'm actually writing for um our uh website uh shout out to visiblemiles.com launching uh in uh, in march um which is basically which is basically have we seen the last of the competitive rts mm. um and in it i do actually discuss um the rise and fall of the of the rts game and part of uh the imminent collapse of, uh, of rts was uh, was moba right um they basically came in and um you know, they they took the, the the chunk, the competitive chunk of the RTS, uh, and stripped it uh, and stripped it down, yep. uh, and turned it into a very fast paced uh, game that people could uh, would, would be suitable for TV, let's say. Right. Um, and so you you took what were like rich strategy games and essentially made them episodic. And um, yeah, I, I'm going to publish that piece, but yeah, but I'm I'm bitter about it. Let's put it that way because RTS was. Essentially, my favorite genre growing up. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's a great, that's a great premise, and uh, I definitely have nothing but sympathy for that because I really do miss. I love Warcraft Three. Um, it was, I like Starcraft, but I was never good enough at it to really enjoy it. Uh, I would have loved to have been good at Starcraft. It just, I don't think I really got into it. But I love Warcraft Three. I love competitive online Warcraft Three. Do you, uh, are you going to try the uh, remake of uh, Warcraft Three? Oh yeah, can't session? wait. I, it was supposed to come out in. Uh, uh, after Christmas, I was so sad that it did. It Again, is, we discussed this in the in, any time in the, time in the future is after Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, like right after Christmas. Like literally, I thought it was going to come out during Christmas vacation. I was able to. You did, know, did you do uh, a Warcraft Three? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we're gonna. Let's we, we're, gonna um, we're gonna yeah, do, we'll do a land yeah? party. Yeah, so, yeah. it'll be a lot. old land school party. land party. Wow. <laughs> um, Are we gonna have Ethernet? Are we gonna like get hubs? Well, that's one way to get adapters for Ethernet. It's not as easy as it used to be. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I just that that's my um, my hot take on it. Anyway, it's that uh, MOBAs killed uh, the traditional ah, RTS, yeah. and I, we've seen it because uh, we're not seeing original uh, RTSs being published. Right. I think these things just come in phases. Like there's going to be. Like, I don't, be, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I just think for now for sure. uh, the MOBA has certainly become the the uh, darling. Uh, uh, favorite child um, for esports. Yeah, I just um, think it's for a good reason. Yeah, I, I think it is for a good reason. So MOBA, I mean, to Eric's point, like a MOBA really, you know, it, it's sort of like taking the idea of an RTS and applying minimalism to it. You're cutting away all sort of stuff and saying, well, how can you micro one character? 
you know, never mind how you can micro more than one character. What can we make out of a game if you can only micro? But one micro character? is the least interesting part of RCS. Like, uh, um, that's your opinion, man. I know, but it's like, can we just go back to having like RCS? Like, games the thing where is, like, obsessed in, with like micro in a game like a Command and Conquer or Starcraft, like Simon Corey, you that's Simon is like part of the game, and you know, you are there, you are like directing the action. A MOBA just takes that and it takes you and puts you on the field can we just like can we simply not have a game where like people aren't obsessed with being like or finding the most efficient way to play it well so i think what you're getting at here is like kind of like a larger you're talking about the wikipedia no no i think like enjoy it i think for the story enjoy it so let's let's get the the immersion but but now you're not talking about a competitive game okay let's no no but (laughs) talking about screwing off on a traditional okay stop arguing guys hold on there's actually a really interesting uh dichotomy that you're getting at here which is in video games, there is a combination. Like some parts of video games really touch more on the human interaction of sports, and some touch on the human like idea of arts and storytelling. And I think what we're seeing here is that those don't always collide in clean manners. No. And I think Simon's like fuck sports, <laughs> pretty much fuck sports. <laughs> they're miserable. They're horrible. Uh, and you know, you grew up in working class England, like sports are kind of responsible, horrible things. Yeah. I mean, football is like the biggest, soccer uh, is like the, is the biggest game Mm -hmm. uh, there. Well, well, I want to take it back to like, when I said about Into the Breach was like, it's very good, but not for me. Right. Um, yeah, you don't have to like. By the way, not... Nobody's taking your other games away from you by this one being popular. There, there's a story in it. Well, okay. So my my point was that I'm trying to make here is that there, I've actually found like a tangible link between the rise of like the MOBA and the death of like uh, the traditional RTS. Mm-hmm. Um, and where these things ebb and flow is where money publishers are willing to put into titles right. that will sell. Um, so this is part of a greater narrative about games as a service mm-hmm. in general, but. The reason that we don't see new Command and Conquer titles anymore is because they're not profitable in the same way. Yeah. Well, they've also completely botched the IP over and over again. Yeah, but there's a reason why they've botched the IP. Yeah, yeah, I agree with Simon here. So, so to get to, so more to your point, Simon, I think there this is kind of a. I read this. I can't remember where I read this, but um, someone basically made an argument that in the past twenty years we've seen a change in sort of the life of the intellectual sphere, where um, before the artist. Uh, and the historian was actually considered uh, an important cultural figure and someone who would actually lead society or be a thought leader, quote-unquote. And that's sort of been supplanted by either the folks who worship data or folks who worship theory. Um, and I think there's kind of a similar parallel here where things have become turned into sport, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you turn things into sport, it's really easy to monetize that, but you end up being unable to look at stories anymore or concentrate on stories. Like it's intrinsic to sports is that you don't need a fucking attention span at all. You can be in the moment and it really touches a part of our like reptile brain. If you don't force yourself to actually interact with stories, you lose the ability to do that. And I think sort of what Simon's speaking to and perhaps some of his fear is that there is a cultural shift towards losing the ability to engage with that. And we, if we lose that culturally, it could be really hard for us to get it back. And that's why it's important to preserve it. Um, And that's something I do agree with. By the way, I'm not against sports games, although it sounds like I am. Um, One of my, you know, favorite original like sports games was FIFA uh, until um, they destroyed it with uh, monetization. Uh, Shout out to our friend uh, Gonzalo and uh, congratulations on your newborn. 
Oh yeah, Gonzalo, uh, one of our friends, Gonzalo, uh, was one of the top FIFA players. Yeah, um, from yeah. Argentina. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it used to be something I really enjoyed, but now you can't pick up the game mm. uh, and enjoy it without having to put like real world money down or yeah. grind for hours. I mean, okay, I enjoy the pickup game of like, uh, you know, of, of, of FIFA, but I don't want to grind for hours and hours. Right. And it's not, a, it's not a fucking MMO. Right. So why am I, why am I being like, uh, why am I having to do that to get like a team I want or like a player I want? Because um, some figure out they could to dilute be... something that you used to like and make you pay right. for what, it. What a, what a lot of players who are new to the series don't realize is that stuff just used to come for free. Yeah. You, why you could, you could, uh, put any player you wanted to any squad you wanted and there you go. And that was the thing. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit, yeah. I guess like I'm just a bit bitter about the way that esports have uh, have, ris- have risen in popularity to the point where publishers have found ways to m- monetize them that have actually hurt original IPs yep. that I used to enjoy playing. I'd like to see this uh, conversation become a uh, theme episode of a uh, future theme episode of this podcast. It's been going long enough that it pretty much is. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna so actually, uh, with Simon, that, I'm going to move on. Yeah, um, Simon, uh, tell me what have you been playing this past week? Uh, so I've been playing uh, Elder Scrolls Online. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have picked it up again. Uh, after... When did it come out? Uh... So it has been out for about five years, uh, four or five mm-hmm. years. Uh, I played it, I want to say, originally 2015 when it came out for the PlayStation. Uh, and that was the first like console I picked it up on. Um, I actually did our, just recorded and uh, put out a couple of days ago, our first ever like visible miles, like quick uh, bite size like update on stuff, which talks about the new expansion to Elder Scrolls Online and why I'm excited about it. So I won't bother covering the expansion here. But um, the reason that um, I wanted to, to play it again um, was because I don't think I gave, it, I gave it a fair shake the first time around because uh, I was so enamored by Final Fantasy XIV at the time that um, I picked up Elder Scrolls and I just I, I simply put it down within a, in a week, not because I disliked it, but because I was so drawn to like um, playing Final Fantasy XIV. So now that I'm playing Elder Scrolls again, um, I, I'm having a completely different like experience with it. Like it's, um, you know, obviously they've made a lot of improvements uh, in the last three years, um, but the game just feels more fluid. Uh, the storyline feels more fleshed out. Uh, it's so much easier to match make for like for dungeons and what they call like delves. Um, and I. I actually have more like there seems to be more like openness in the classes and the way that you can like um, basically construct your character. So I'm I'm also trying something which I I, I don't normally do, which is uh, like playing like essentially like a mage like summoner class, um, which is just, like very odd for me. I'm, what's usually, what's your uh, usual go to? I usually like um, so maybe it's similar in a way because I usually play like ranged DPS, uh. um, but it will always be like bow or gun yep. related because I'm lazy like that. I don't want to like, I don't want to be uh, involved in like a healing class or a tank class because then you got to learn how to stack things and I, I don't have time for like for stacking. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I also don't have time for people yelling at me in the comments for not healing them in time and like wiping the like the whole like uh, team. Um, but but like, I think one of the other classes that could also make sense then is like, I, my favorite is always like melee agility classes. So I do that as well. Like that's yeah. the other one that I'll flip um, between uh, Final Fantasy. I was like um, 14. I was like barred. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a lot of fun that. Um, I played a lot of, uh, last year I played a lot of Guild Wars 2, um, which was actually the first time I'd ever played it. And I picked it up 
and played it solid for about like four months um, and then uh, put it down because I just didn't feel like the story get went anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I played both expansions and I was like, this is, there are things I love about uh, Guild Wars and things I don't like. I, what I do love is it's really accessible. It's like super easy to get into mm-hmm. uh, for anyone that's like scared that MMO has like a high learning like curve. Uh, Guild Wars kind of took that away. Um, but the end game also, it's, it's one of those games that really is like, um, easy to pick up, very difficult to master, uh-huh. um, because the way that you can change like the classes and everything, it, it makes it infinitely complex. Um, but I just, I got bored with it. Like, mm. uh, post like end game, even with the expansions, like Heart of Thorns was just a really bad expansion. I know people are going to hate me for saying that, but it was, um, and it took a lot of the fun they had with the, like the base game, like out of it. And so by the time I got to the um, to, to the second expansion, I was just like, I was already kind of like through with it. Mm. Um, whereas I'm not having that experience with um, with Elder Scrolls. It's like um, one of those games that I, I picked up and um, yeah, I'm just enjoying it more playing every time I log on rather than it feeling like a chore. Um, because That's kind of rare. It, yeah, it is kind of rare. But I, and also because I think it's like this weird mmo balance that you just kind of don't see between true third player console style feeling game um and an mmo like this thing feels just as comfortable to play with a controller as it does with like a keyboard and mouse um i've actually switched over to pc this time and the one negative thing i will say is it doesn't fully support crossplay. Um, so if you create a character on like Xbox or PlayStation, you can't then transfer that over to like Mac or PC. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Um, I don't know if that's going to change now that PlayStation has like opened up crossplay more, but we'll see what happens. But Final Fantasy for 14, for example, you can have the same character on, uh, on any platform. Um, but yeah, yeah, for, for me, like I, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I mean, like I highly recommend the game and, um, the, if you want to hear a little bit more about why I'm enjoying it so much, I um, highly recommend going and watch our like, bite-sized video on it. I can fully break down the new expansion that's coming up and there's a whole lot more stuff there. But I actually want to move on to another game that I've been playing this week, which um, uh, I'm having just as much fun with, if not more, because it's like a blast to the past for me, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, Two Point Hospital. Um, so did you, either of you play uh, Theme Hospital growing up? No. Oh man! So Theme Hospital was probably one of the best like uh, sim games uh, of all time. Mm. Um, you know, traditional like bullfrog um, style, like uh, you know theme park, uh, theme hospital, that sort of thing. It's quirky, like it, it's funny. Um, it's just really simple to pick up the mechanics. Um, really like easy to sit down with and play for like hours at a time because you just. You like watching how the characters move around and how they interact with each other and the dialogue boxes. And uh, and Two Point Hospital is a completely faithful remaster, uh, I would say, of like the original Theme Hospital mm. with a bunch of like new elements that, that kind of make it uh, or take it to the next level. Um, but which uh, kind of a, in, in that sense, it's kind of a basic game. It, it uh, is a this sim. actually is very fun for me. So, you know, not to get too much in my day job, but I, uh, the company I work at actually interacts with healthcare. So I am mentally just curious to play this game because I want to see how realistic it'll get or how detailed it will get. Um, Did you ever play any of the Peter Molyneux? No, games? no. I actually, I'm realizing there's actually... Oh, you're missing out. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really missing out. There's a whole, I think, lineage that I would just have a blast playing through. Right? Yeah. I'm still waiting for like a true populist remake. 
He's been talking about this for years. Yeah. I was so burnt by um, the mobile like populace. Oh, so angry. So such garbage. Um, but also, like your uh, game was so uh, populous three, which uh, everybody thought was like a huge uh, divergence from like core populous. And it was the best one, in my in my opinion. Um, but I don't think Molly knew was even uh, involved in it. Really? In three? I don't think so. No. Are you sure? No. Yeah, I have to look that one up. I'm not sure about that either. Yeah. Um, but that was my so that was my first experience, um, and then I went back and played uh, one and two. And yeah, they were, you know they were fine for what they were. I, mean, uh, I would have two obviously... point uh, two point hospital. Which uh, platform are you playing on? Uh, it's from Steam, so I'm on PC. Is it PC? Your yeah. uh, Razer? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm actually not sure whatever uh, platform this is available. I like the art. I think it might only be on um, Steam. Uh, well, I mean, what's Steam? You know, Mac, Linux, Windows. Probably PC and but, Mac. But uh, it's a very very cool art direction. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, so if you enjoyed the original uh, theme hospital. Uh, you enjoy sim games in general, like I would highly recommend um, picking this game up. It is a blast uh, to play. Mm. Um, yeah, with that, I think uh, that's the end of uh, today's podcast. Mm.